Thanks for joining us here at Faith Assembly for our weekly podcast. We're so excited you're tuning in this week. To learn more about our church, you can visit us online at myfaithassembly.org. Join us live or connect with us on Facebook. Good morning. Welcome to church this morning, and uh, we're glad you're glad you're joining us. First Corinthians chapter fourteen. We're in, in uh, our Christmas series called Everlasting, and uh, looking at this everlasting hope that we have because of an everlasting promise made with the arrival of this child that was born. This promise that we have is sealed because unto us a child is born, a son has been given. And uh, this gives us this everlasting hope and promise and uh, everlasting without end. It's literally in his name. Uh, it's, it's who he was, who he is, and who he will forever be. Of course, the scripture tells us that his name will be called Everlasting Father. And that, that whole idea of father is to originate, to begin something. How many recognize that Jesus came and began something in our lives? How many have been affected by what Jesus came and started in your life? Has there anybody been affected by Jesus coming and starting something new in your life? And uh, that is, uh, that, that's the message of Christmas, the hope that we have that uh, Christ has come. And I want to talk today about everlasting life that we have in Jesus. First Corinthians chapter 15. Uh, why don't you stand with me as we look at uh, this, this word together. First Corinthians chapter 15, starting in verse 45. You happy to be in church? Uh, tell somebody beside you, thanks for being with me today. Tell them, thanks for coming to church with me. If they didn't come to church with you, that might not be the, a little weird. Verse 45, the scriptures tell us the first man, Adam, became a living person, but the last Adam, that is Christ, is a life-giving spirit. What comes first is the natural body, then the spiritual body comes later. Adam, the first man, was made from the dust of the earth, while Christ, the second man, came from heaven. Earthly people are like the earthly man, and heavenly people are like the heavenly man, just As we now are like the earthly man, we will someday be like the heavenly man. What I am saying, dear brothers and sisters, is that our physical bodies cannot inherit the kingdom of God. These dying bodies cannot inherit what will last forever. But let me reveal to you a wonderful secret. We will not all die, but we will all be transformed. That's everlasting. We will not all die but we will all be transformed. It will happen in a moment, in the blink of an eye, when the last trumpet is blown. For when the trumpet sounds, those who have died will be raised to live forever. And we who are living will also be transformed, for our dying bodies must be transformed into bodies that will never die. Our mortal bodies must be transformed into immortal bodies. Then then will be brought to pass. When our dying bodies have been transformed into bodies that will never die, this scripture will be fulfilled. Death is swallowed up in victory. Thanks be to Jesus Christ. How many are grateful to know that there's a God who has defeated death, hell, and the grave? He has given us victory, this king. Yeah, come on. We're going to give God praise. Let's do that. I want to talk about this everlasting life. You recognize here he's telling us, that Adam came, and then there was a last Adam, that is Jesus. These originators, they came and brought something to us, but Jesus gave us this promise that after these mortal bodies have been put away, we have 
a hope that will remain forever. God, I pray that you would give us insight today, Lord, to hear and know your word, to be transformed by it. Give us fresh perspective and, uh, God, just a recognition of who you are. Lord, we give you thanks. We pray this in Jesus' name. If you agree with that today, would you say amen? Amen. As you're being seated, just tell your neighbor there's more to life than this. There is more to life than this. We're glad you're, glad you're here. It's good to see you. Uh, welcome, welcome to church today. I, uh, what better title to give this as we're in Christmas talking about everlasting life. So the title I want to talk from uh, the, these next couple minutes is this, It's a Wonderful Life. How many know that when it comes to knowing Jesus, there is no greater life? There's more to life than what we currently recognize. There's no greater life. Jesus came to give us everlasting life. Life is defined as a growing organism. Anything that is living must grow. If it's not growing, it's evidence of it not being alive. Whatever is living is producing. It's productive. It's moving. There is life, and we are those who have life. Therefore, we produce life. If there's the absence of growth, There is no life, but when something is growing, it's the evidence of there being life. My prayer today is that we are in a spiritual growth, which is evidence of spiritual life, of new life that we have in Jesus Christ. Every one of us are contributors in this life. We have the ability to produce. Because you have life, you have the ability to produce. We're all producing something in this season, this period of time, that there is this time that we're on the earth and we're producing something that in all reality will be handed off or passed on to someone else to continue. Every single one of us are at the place where we are today because someone has given us something to work with. Someone produced something and gave it to us and therefore we're working with what someone else started with. It doesn't matter. We love the regs to riches stories. We love the people who started from nothing. But in all reality, no one ever starts from nothing. Everybody starts from something. Now, your something might be less than someone else's something because to whom much is given, much is required. There there might be a different amount of something, but no one ever starts with nothing. Everybody starts with something. There's something. And those who did much with little didn't start with nothing. They, they, They steward and handled well what was given to them, and it grew and produced into something more. We have the ability to produce. We are doing things today that, that are in a space that very few of us, there's, there's only a few of us in the room that we're meeting in a building, and only a few of us were here when this building was built. We, we are we are. We have inherited something that's been given. We didn't start from scratch. This was passed on. There's something that's been given. Our job and what we do in the period of time is that we are creating for the purpose of handing off to someone else. Now, Solomon would say this is meaningless. Solomon in the book of Ecclesiastes, he says, wait a minute. So basically, I'm gonna live my life working to get resources, to get stuff, and when I'm done, I'm gonna die and just pass it on to someone else. Now, how many know it is meaningless if your life is defined by all the material things that are just temporary? If our life is defined by the temporary existence and the things that are temporary around us, it is meaningless. I mean, why would you build only to pass on if it didn't have something of greater value? What is the greater value? That's the contribution that was given by Adam and the last Adam. You see, you and I are all giving something, building on something. We're making a contribution in life. Now, here's the contribution that Adam and the last Adam, who is Jesus, made in life. Adam's contribution was physical life. You and I have life because God created Adam out of dust. Then he breathed into Adam 
and gave him life. From Adam then, he gave Eve, and from Adam and Eve, there came this union, this relationship that produced on the earth, and now God gave life through Adam. Adam meaning the father, the originator of, that's the word Adam, it means the the, the starting point. Adam was the starting point of life. When Adam came, we had life. How many know Jesus came and he said he did not come to just give us life, but to give us life more abundantly? life that is everlasting. Jesus comes and gives us a life that is everlasting. Now, because of Jesus, we don't just have life in this life. We have life for all eternity and life that is everlasting. Why is that important? Because sometimes we get stuck in living in the first Adam and forget to walk in the fullness of what God made possible through the second Adam. When you don't realize, when we don't recognize the perspective of what God has given us, We make a lot out of this one and lose sight of the big picture that God has given us. Here's the example I could give. There are first world problems. How many know there are first world problems? Here's a first world problem. We're trying to figure out how to get high-speed internet to every remote area in in America. Now, that's that's a need. Okay, I get it. Okay. But how many know that doesn't compare to there are other parts of the world trying to get clean water? How many know what I'm talking about? When you recognize the need for clean water and the value of clean water, when you know you have clean water, all of a sudden, your issue of not having high-speed internet is not as important because you recognize something's greater than just the world you're in in the moment. Does anybody make sense of that? That we get perspective. And whenever we have proper perspective, it allows us to see where we are in a different way. It allows us to see in, in, in full perspective that this is temporary, this is a moment, but God has given us something that is for all eternity, that He's given us more than just what is temporary, that we recognize that this contribution that Jesus made is that we might have everlasting life. And sometimes we want Jesus to give us life. And by that, we define, give us a good job, good resources, good family, good stuff. I want life to be good. The danger is if we get so caught up in making life good here and forget that God prepared a life for us there, we'll make more out of this life and lose out on the next one. We'll make more out of the temporary stuff and lose out of the next one. I've just got to, just recognizing whenever we start to get that this is valuable and important, that it changes our perspective. Now, there's a, there's a, a, a young lady in our church, and I don't want to call out, but I just want to recognize and give, give just from a pastor's perspective a aha and wow, thank you, Jesus. Because there is the ability to give God less than what we give other places. How many know what I'm talking about? There was a young lady here yesterday who had responsibilities elsewhere. But just because she had responsibilities elsewhere, she made the responsibilities of being a part of what God is doing in the church just as important as what the responsibilities are out there. And here's what's in my heart. I thought, I hope no one tells her that's not normal. Hope no one tells her that it's more normal to give your best out there and give God your seconds. I hope no one tells her that, wait, we give everything to life and to what we're building and we give to the things of God in a secondary fashion. We put extra there and left over here because we sometimes 
neglect the second Adam because we're so busy in first Adam. How many know what I'm talking about? Okay, I'm, I'm not coming for anybody. I promise this is not a, this is just, I'm standing. I was, in, I was here yesterday and I'm watching what's happening and I see this young lady who I know she has responsibilities elsewhere. But I'm like, oh God, this is how this works. My, my value, and, and so here's when we stop and ask ourselves, what are we putting into, first, in, into our first Adam and neglecting when God came to give us the second, the last Adam, the eternal life? Are we sometimes so caught up in building life that we forget everlasting life? But when I know everlasting life, it puts in perspective that this matters more than the temporary. Okay. Am I making sense? I'm, I'm wrong. But God help us to not build a world that is on temporary when Jesus came to give us everlasting life. What matters more? What, what matters in the big picture? Okay, you need high-speed internet. I get it. That's a big deal. That's a first-world problem. But how many are grateful we've got clean water going to play? So all of a sudden, our issues are not what we think they are. And, and how many know it'll sometimes talk us off the ledge? When we realize, wait, we don't have, our problems are temporary because our hope is everlasting and eternal. All right? Anybody have everlasting and eternal hope? Anybody know the hope of what we have in Jesus? Because that changes everything. Here, Jesus comes along, and it's not just you have life. Jesus says you have life more abundantly. He makes a claim. And how many know that if you're going to have somebody make a claim, it's always good to find out their credibility? It's not enough. If somebody just makes a claim, I don't know if you, you realize this, but cereal back in the day, back when it first started, used to be marketed as eat this cereal and you will never be sick again. How many know that's a strong claim? I mean, eat this cereal and you will not have any more cancer if you eat this cereal. Now, something came along like, wait a minute, you need some credibility to be able to market on that. You can't just market. I mean, soda started in a pharmacy because it was supposed to take away headaches. It was also said that some of the stuff that was put in soda was like the modern day blue pill, if you know what I mean. Like if you drank soda, it would make everything better for you. That this, There's this marketing. If you're gonna say something, you've gotta have credibility to back it up. Jesus comes along and he says, I've come to give you life everlasting. How many know he's got to have some credibility? Now, some people would say, wait, you can't question God. Jesus opens the door to this. Jesus doesn't want you and I just to trust him because he said so, because faith doesn't mean to just trust what he says. Faith believes, faith is to believe in the one who says it. There's a big difference. Faith is not just believing what Jesus said. Faith is trusting and believing in the one who said it. His words are words, but his words are nothing if he himself is not the word of God, the word of life. If he himself is not credible, it doesn't matter what his words are. I mean, we know that in the natural. Anybody can say anything. But credibility, what does Jesus give us as credibility? And he invites this because it's necessary to know the credibility of what someone is speaking from. Here's some of the claims that Jesus made. He says in John 10, 10, he says, the thief's purpose is to steal, kill, and to destroy. My purpose is to give them rich and satisfying life. I'm gonna give them life to the full. That's a big claim. He said in John 14, when he was talking to the disciples, specifically Thomas, Thomas says to him later, he says, we don't know who, where you're going and what you're up to. 
Jesus makes this statement. I am the way, I am the truth, and I am the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. How many know that's a big statement? You're making a big claim, Jesus. So what's the credibility? Because your words are this, but I can't hear your words if I don't know the credibility and the trustworthiness of who you are. Now, this is not Jesus. Jesus is not at all looking at some place and saying, who are you to question me? He opens the door and says, by all means. Because there's a fulfillment and a truth that that Jesus, of course, invites this to understand and to recognize. He says these words in John 14 later on when he's talking to the disciples. He says, just believe that I'm the Father, uh, that I'm in the Father and the Father is in me. Or at least believe because of the work you have seen me do. Jesus is saying, I'm going to give you something to start with. Believe at least, believe that I'm in the Father and the Father is in me. His point is, I am the Son of God. I am I am God divine who has come in flesh. I am God. He said, but if you can't believe that, then at least start with believing the miracles that I did. Do you know that the miracles that Jesus did were not just to satisfy the needs of people, but to reveal who he was? When Jesus fed the 5,000, it wasn't because Jesus was like, I really have it in my heart and I really want to feed them. I'm really just a generous guy and I just really want, let's feed them. No, Jesus did more than. How many know he's the God of more than? It wasn't just that their stomachs could be full. It was so that they might know he is the bread of life. He is the, ability, he is the one who is able. When Jesus does miracles, it's not just to make your world, your first world good. It's so that you can know he set up more for you, that you can trust and know who he is, that he's God with you in every season. It's not to reveal that God meets my needs. It's to reveal that he is the God who is more than enough. Here's the danger. When we want Jesus to just keep, and this is what they did. The, the people followed Jesus, and he reached a point. He's like, you just want to keep following me because I'm giving you food. He's like, I don't want you to just keep coming because you get fed. I want you to come because you believe in the one. These miracles are not just to fill your stomach. These miracles are not just to give you a good life, good house, good home, good resources, good stuff, and you have a good life here, these miracles are to reveal to you that I'm trustworthy and you can, you can believe in me, you can trust me because not only can I meet your needs here, but I know how to meet your needs for all eternity and everlasting hope. It's to reveal the credibility of who he is. And Jesus came, uh, of course, in this purpose to fulfill this goal, this desire to give us everlasting life. So here's the credibility. Here's some reasons why we can, he's credible, we can trust, we can believe. He's done miracles, yes, but it's more than that. Here's number one, you can trust the claim of Jesus because Jesus is saying, I'm gonna give you everlasting life. You know, like not just life that Adam gave you, but everlasting life. Whoa, that's a big claim. How can you make that claim? Number one, Jesus is pure. Every time you look at someone who makes a claim, how many know you always, you always kind of look behind it and like, okay, what's in it for you and what strings are attached? Where are all the skeptics in the room? Come on. Come on, there's more than just me. I mean, Marriott wants to give you a free trip to where? Are you kidding me? Uh, how many know that it's like, okay, what's this going to lead to? What, what will I have to do? In, what's behind this? But there is such a pure motive of Jesus. His desire all the way from the beginning was this. He said, I only do what I see the Father doing and I only do what the Father says to do because my whole intent and purpose here and agenda is to fulfill the purpose of God for the world, for God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son that whoever believes in him would not perish but have everlasting life. His whole purpose was set and the purity and, and the desire and the design of God is so pure that he came for that one purpose. 
Now, Adam and Jesus, Adam, of course, being the first Adam, Jesus being the last Adam, or called the second Adam, they mean to originate, to begin something. Adam started life, Jesus started everlasting life. Now, they both came without earthly fathers. They're both cre- not created, God was not created. He, Jesus came from heaven, but Adam came from the dirt that God created, and the dirt represents the very place that the law was written for. God wrote the law to keep order on the earth, the very same thing that God created Adam out of. Adam was created from the dirt. God formed the dirt. He breathed in it. Life began. Adam was created from the very place that God wrote the law for. Jesus, he didn't come from the dirt. Jesus came from heaven. He didn't come from the place that the law was written for. He came from the place that the law was written from. How many know the one who is the author is greater than the material that he writes? He is the God who is not just the one. He is the one who came from heaven. And because he came from heaven, the purity, the spotless, it matters that he was born of a virgin. It matters that Jesus was born of a virgin and it's Christmas that we celebrate that he came through Mary who was conceived by the Holy Spirit, that the Spirit of God came upon her just as the Spirit of God hovered over the earth and created creation. The Spirit of God, that same Spirit hovered over over Mary and and in that process, she conceived and gave birth and and conceived of Jesus Christ who was pure without the, the blood of a sinful man. You see, every one of us are born of Adam. Every single one of us are born in this condition. Adam did a good job for, I don't even know how long. The Bible doesn't even say how long he lasted in the garden. He started in a pure state, but how many know he didn't end? He started in the pure state. And before you go to Adam and say, shame on Adam, when I get to heaven, I'm gonna give Adam a piece of my mind because he ate of that tree. And if he wouldn't have eaten the tree, we wouldn't have sin. You know what? Give Adam a break because the truth of the matter is these are wonderful people. But if it was Tim and Katie, we'd have the same problem. I mean, if it was Don and Hillary, we would love them. They're great, but we'd have, if it was Chris and Kim, they're wonderful people. They're they're good-hearted, wonderful, awesome. But how many know they would put us in the same position that Adam and Eve put us in? Why? Because we're all made of the dirt and we are limited. There's an inability in us. There's a desire for purity, but how many know in ourselves we can't produce it? And so God knew that, but Jesus came as the second Adam or the last Adam because he was able, he remained pure. Here's the second thing. We can believe and he has credibility because he was pure. The second thing, he has proven. If you wanna know something is believable, it matters the same message over time. Be leery of the people who change their story every so often. Because how many know if the story changes, you start saying, wait a minute, I thought you said flip, flop, flip, flop, flip. I mean, how many know you'll say anything to get what anybody, what you want from anybody? Jesus never did that. Do you know Jesus never changed his message for the crowd? He kept saying the same thing over and over, which by the way, was not new when he arrived. It was stuff that was already being spoken by prophets thousands of years before. That was all prophesied of this one who would come. He was proven. It didn't take much time. We don't even know how long it took Adam and Eve to eat of the fruit. But Jesus proved himself for 33 years because for 33 years he walked among us or he walked in the flesh. He was skin like you and I, hurt, felt, emotions, all that stuff. But the spirit in him and the, the presence of God was in him. He was God in the flesh. He was God wrapped up in our, in, in our form, God incarnate who came and dwelt with us. And Jesus in 33 years, Hebrews tells us this, that Jesus, he was tested in every way as we were. But yet, 
he remained sinless. That even in all the, the testing and the things that were, a, that were a part of, you realize that in order for something to be proven, it has to be tested. Adam was tested in the garden. Adam was tested in the garden with the fruit. You can eat of anything, Adam. Adam, you can eat whatever you want. There are two trees in the middle. Don't eat of the tree of knowledge of good and evil. You can eat of the tree of life because we often forget that there were two trees in the middle because we always put God in a, you shouldn't do that. No, God didn't say you shouldn't do that. God said there's two in the middle and the center is the tree of life. And he said, but the tree of knowledge, don't touch that one because the tree of life comes from God. God's the tree of knowledge. There always has to be boundaries. Don't touch that one. But how many know our sinful nature is, oh, the one I'm not supposed to? And he's tested in, and nothing you don't. I may need anything ever and make a lot of babies. He failed. I mean, you think of all the tasks you're given. All you need to do is have whatever you want. Don't touch that one. Produce, be fruitful, be multiply. And Adam couldn't even do that in the garden. Why? Because we're all prone to failure. Jesus wasn't tested in the garden. Jesus was tested in the wilderness. And it, isn't it interesting that the one who had life, who started life in the natural, started with everything given to him. But Jesus was tested in the wilderness at the beginning. Jesus was baptized. And immediately after being baptized, he goes into the wilderness and he's tested for 40 days. He's fasting for 40 days. And he's in the place that the enemy says to him, you're hungry, aren't you? How many know 40 days of not eating? He's probably right. And the enemy says to him, Satan says, turn this bread into stone and then be satisfied. Then he takes him to, to, a, to another place and, and he says, he'll protect you. He'll keep you. If, you. if you jump off of this, he'll protect you. In every place you are, he'll protect you and provide for you. He's the God who will keep you. And then he takes him to the, to, to the mountain, says, if you bow down or to, to the top of the temple, if you bow down everything you have, everything in front of you, I'll give to you. The enemy tempted Jesus with everything we want in our first world. The enemy tempted Jesus with everything we're looking for in life. What are we looking for in life? Our food needs to be met, provision, and how many recognize we don't even mind having a little bit of power? Everything we're looking for, Jesus got tempted with. But Jesus didn't fall like Adam, who when Adam had everything and he failed, Jesus was in the wilderness. He willingly surrendered everything and he overcame. Why? Because the God that we serve is proven he proved himself faithful. He proved himself through the tempting, through the testing. He is proven. He is trustworthy. He's pure. He's proven. Lastly, he's power. He rose from the dead. The God that we serve, the God that we serve overcame death, hell, and the grave. The power of God that is available to you and I through this everlasting life, that in this everlasting life, that we know the power of God. And because he has power, it means he has rule and authority. Anything with power has rule and authority. His government, the Bible says, when Isaiah says, and his government will be without end. His government will be without end because his rule of everlasting life, the gates of hell will not prevail against it. Nothing can stop the rule and the reign of our God. Government is given the authority. And, and when government is given the authority, how, how many know government sets the course of what we have to live with? People in government make decisions and the decisions they make affect how we live, right? They pass laws, they make decisions. We are affected by people's decisions. That is not new because there's only two types of people in the world 
people who are in Adam or people who are in Jesus. Everyone starts out in Adam, but not everybody gets to everlasting life in Jesus. Everyone begins, and here it is, these acts that have been done, you and I will either live under the slave, as slaves to sin under Adam or as heirs and joint together with Christ through Jesus. Romans chapter eight, verse 15 says, yes, Adam's one sin brings condemnation for everyone, but Christ's one act of righteousness brings a right relationship with God and new life for everyone. They both had acts. Adam had one act and Jesus had one act. And you and I are now governed under the decisions they've made. We're all governed because of the decision of sin for all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. But if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creature. The old is gone and the new has come. Now that gives way to everlasting life. It doesn't mean that God doesn't care about issues here. He absolutely does. But when I have everlasting life, I start having a fresh perspective and I don't just live for life in my first world. I live in the recognition of this life. I see it through the lens of all eternity. There are some things that overwhelm me but when I put it in perspective of God's grace and God's provision, all of a sudden it doesn't seem like that big of a deal. Anybody know what I'm talking about? There are some things when you put in this in, the, in perspective, this is a first world problem. Don't treat it like a third world problem. I might not have what I need, but I got every, I am, might not have what I want, but I know who I am in Christ. He's given me, I know he's given me everlasting life. I'm holding on to this problem. So Adam's contribution was life to death and Jesus' contribution was death to life, everlasting life. If anyone is in Christ, they have this everlasting life. It, it means new. Here, here's the whole thing of, of everlasting is everlasting is not just eternal. It's not just eternal. We often think of everlasting life and it means to live forever. No, that's eternal life. Everlasting means new life, new life. Everybody has eternal life because everyone is born and created in the image of God. And the image of God is eternity. The Bible says that God has put eternity in the hearts of man. Every single person will live forever. The question is, will we live in Adam, separated from God? Or will we live in Christ, having everlasting life? And everlasting doesn't mean just to live forever. Everlasting means to have new life. And when you have a new life, how many know it gives you a new perspective? When you have a new life, you recognize Jesus and here is the, 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 the evidence of a new life. The evidence of a new life is when Jesus becomes priority in your life. That's evidence of a new life. Evidence of a new life is when now, just like this, 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 this young girl that I, that I mentioned earlier, it's living in this perspective of, okay, God is priority and my heart in Christ and my relationship with, I've, I've got to prioritize the things of God. If I don't, I get distracted in the things of the world and I'm trying to, build my life here and God wants me to live a fulfilled life and the fulfilled life the hope and the promise that I have is not because everything in my first world is the way I want it but because eternity and everlasting life is settled and I know my God shall supply all my needs that I'm confident in who I have believed it changes everything why did George Bailey end the movie It's a Wonderful Life in such a fresh new way it's because he had the opportunity to see life in a new perspective he had the opportunity to see something in a different way. My prayer today is that you would receive everlasting life from Jesus, to be able to have fresh perspective, new life. Might not always change your circumstances. 
but it will change the hope and it'll change where you're standing. It was a number of years ago now, I have this habit every Sunday morning when I come early, I come in on Walnut Hill Road and my car is just automatic to it. It goes right over the Morgantown Road and right to the McDonald's for my morning coffee. A number of years ago, I, I, I was making my way there early in the morning, it's dark. Um, sun hadn't come up yet on a Sunday morning. I'm on my way. The light just turns green, so I keep my speed and go through the light. And when I go through the light, this small pickup truck comes through the red light. And I swerve out of the way and just miss the car. That car goes. I go into McDonald's. How many know it takes a little while, you know, like that incident? It just, wow, that just happened. And I'm like, whoo. I went inside McDonald's that morning to order my soda, and when I'm, I'm standing there to, to order my soda, this man taps me on the back of my shoulder. He says, excuse me, he said, I'm the guy that came. Tap me on the shoulder. Morning. And every morning, the story that I could be saying is, I almost lost my life there. I almost got hit by a car. I had to swerve out of the way. But do you know what the story is? The story isn't that's where I almost got hit. The story is that's where this man came and tapped me on the shoulder to make sure I'm okay. There's some of us, we're living in our world and our story is more. Can't believe how rough it is. Can't believe how bad it is. It never goes well for me. It's always difficult. My life is hard. It's not fun. This isn't good. And we forget. No, there's a man who showed up and he tapped us on the shoulder and he said, are you okay? Because I want to give you everything everlasting life instead of the story I've lost it all my story is I may not have what I want in this life but I the man who tapped me on the shoulder is an everlasting father he's a prince of peace and he stepped into my world and my story's changed a whole different story why because I have everlasting life this is no longer the place I almost died. This is the place, not where I lost it all. This is the place that in my brokenness, some man, and not just any man, the King of Kings, the, the Lord of Lords, the one who stepped down from glory, he showed up in my world. He tapped me on the shoulder and said, I'm here to give you everlasting life. I wonder today if you sense him tapping you on the shoulder. So you're walking through something that's difficult and you've got a narrative. You're telling the story of how this is, oh don't just settle for life because he didn't come to just give us life. He came to give us life more abundantly, everlasting. He wants to tap you on the shoulder today. He wants to step into your world, into your situation. You know why? Because he's God, Emmanuel. He is Emmanuel, God with us. How many are thankful for the God? And now what we need to do is make room for the one who says, I'm here for you. I'm here for you. Would you stand with me in this place? And this morning, before we go anywhere, we have time. We don't need to rush. Would you make room? Whether you know Jesus or not, today's your day to know him if you don't know him. But maybe you're walking through something, you need to be reminded, your God, Emmanuel, showed up and tapped you on the shoulder and said, you're walking through life, but I don't wanna just get you through life, I wanna give you eternal life. I wanna give you hope for eternity. And how many know when you know you've got hope for eternity, it starts making the things here look altogether different. It's a wonderful life. And he has this life for you and I. 
as they lead us in this. If you want to come to the altar, you're welcome to do that. We're going to close in a final prayer. But would you just take a moment as they lead us in this song and just say to God right now that your heart's open to receive him, receive everlasting life, forgiveness.